Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician, and so are you. And so is this wonderful brother we're about to introduce you to. I'm telling you, he's 4,000 miles away. We call him the George Clinton of Serbia. This is Nanad C., and he has a great band called Numismatica. He's full of funk, soul, and jazz. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? Oh, fine. I'm great. Thank you for having me on this show. I'm really thrilled. So, you know, from, from the bottom of my heart, I really thank you. Not only for this, but for whatever, whatever you're doing with Anthemization, I think that's a huge step forward to all of us who are a bit older, about seniors, but, you know, still having it in us to do what you, you should be done. Well, you're doing it, man, and you're doing it hard. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I got a ton of questions for you, so I hope you have your seatbelts on. First of all, I really do love your music. I think we may be about the same age. We grew up listening to the same stuff. It really yeah. is apparent in your music. But uh, you, you got to tell me, first of all, uh, we're on two different different time zones. So it's uh, in the early afternoon, but it's late evening where you are. Is that right? 9.30 p.m. So, evening. Yeah. And and so what part of Serbia are you in? Well, I'm in Belgrade. That's capital of Serbia. You know, the largest city, one of the largest cities on the world, on south of East Europe, like two million people, something like that. So that's where I'm living for 20-something years. Um, I was born in the southern city, Niš. That's the third major city in, in Serbia. But I moved, like, 20-something years ago to Belgrade, better opportunities for living and for, you know, doing, doing whatever I do, and that was it. Um, and then my daughter was born here, so, <laughs> and so, that, that, so I'm stuck in Belgrade. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, I, I want you to know uh, before we get started that our hearts uh, do go out to you and to your country. Recently, uh, you all suffered a tragedy, much like uh, we did uh, several weeks before here in the United States. But uh, we're praying for you, praying for you. the uh, citizens there. Man, our hearts do go out to you. And uh, I want to thank you because you are an entree musician and you shared from your heart with us when we gather on Sunday nights. So thank you for being so personable, brother. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure because, you know, the entree musician is uh, on, on Sunday evening. It, it's just, just like meeting with a great friends. So for me, it's, in, it's an enjoyment to be with you, with all of you. Well, thank you. We love having you, man. That's what the Entree Musician community is all about, is building and strengthening. And it's good to know that we can go across the pond and, and become a more global community, too. That's really good for us. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really thrilled and proud to be part of, of Entree Musician Society because uh, I really think that helps me a lot. And I'm trying to help other, others with my knowledge and to exchange, you know, the info, the knowledge and everything. That's so rare today, and I know one of the best things that happened in, with, with my musician life for I don't know for decades now, becoming a <laughs> musician. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I got to tell you, uh, you know, again, you, your uh, discography—you have like nine different albums. You have uh, some yeah. new stuff that's coming out. And as a matter of fact, uh, May first, I believe. You introduced a, a new single called In the Morning, and we want to talk yeah. about that. But I'd love to know, first and foremost, how you got started in music. Before you put this awesome band together, we're going to talk about that. But how old were you? What happened? When did you decide, this is my life, you know? <laughs> well, I don't know. First, you know, the, when I grew up, there was music all, all the time in my house, you know. My mother, when she was a girl, she used to be a, a lead singer for a big band, or jazz, jazz big band orchestra in Nish, and so she was singing all the time. Her father was doing some records also uh, on, this, on the side. So the music was part of, of my growing up. And then at the age of eight, nine, I, think, I can't remember anymore, uh, the parents decided that I should have a proper music education and they uh, signed me to... Uh, 
music school where I where I was taught piano, playing piano and you know singing and everything else. And like it was almost like I don't know. I don't know how the life looks without music because literally it has been a part of my life for I don't know 50 years. Yeah, all, all my life basically. And uh, at the age of 14, I, I, I thought, well, this is you know that was the time of uh, post punk you know, like bands like uh, Talking Heads, Paddy B, uh, Ramones, and so on from the United States or from uh, Great Britain. They were, I don't know, Clash, the Banshees, the Bannerman, Joy Division. And I was just a kid and I was like, oh, this is, this is awesome. I don't have to know to play that well. I just have to have ideas. And, and I started the band. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately for me, with my first band and with my first song that, songs that I wrote, we won a, a, a battle of bands, first one, another one, another one, and I was like a 14-year-old kid, and it was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm becoming a local legend, just literally as a kid, and from from there on, it was like, for another, I don't know, 15, 16, 70 years, music was the center of my life, of what I, what I did, and I, then life took me some other places and in 1996 seven something like that I, I stopped playing music due to very very different reasons stopped playing music stopped making music altogether i, I made a different career i went to the media became tv host and whatnot and but whatever i, I was doing i felt that something is lacking in my life and i wasn't happy simply and then after a few personal turmoils, I started writing music again. And in 2017, I was back. In, and suddenly I felt alive again. Like, like yes, this, this is it. This is what I am. I mean, I can't live without this. I know how to do this this, this well. So, yeah. I, so some, somebody else will say, okay, this is not good or this is good, but I know how to do it. I know I have all the skills. I have the knowledge. I know how to write the song. So this is what I want to do. Yes. And during that period from 27, uh, 2000, sorry, 2017 to 2020 to, to start to, to the starting of pandemic or the COVID, uh, I literally was with four bands playing absolutely different music from alternative rock to electro dark to I don't know to ethnotronica and so on and with COVID I started thinking about doing something really solo as a solo project because you know no gigs no nothing everybody's staying at home due to lockdowns and so on right. and then I came to that idea of Menazzi and Numismatica and to, to that whole concept that whole project the boogeyman which I released as an album in 2021 in late November 2021 and the whole project should be a book also and an animated movie also but you know it's on a it's, it's on a large scale so i'm doing it all together step by step by step by step while making new music and preparing some new albums but okay we will do that later i, I think that this this bio is enough for for, for beginning mm -hmm. well that that's a that's an interesting story and and uh, i talked to a lot of entree musicians who, you know, they, once they discover this is the journey I'm going to be on, something happens personally or spiritually or emotionally where they're in a position where they kind of stop and don't do music for a while. And then once that, you know, fire is reignited, they go, yeah, this is where I should have been all along. Yeah. So yeah, it's like a absolutely. soul searching. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, did you walk right back into it? I was really interested, however, in, in when you brought up the Boogeyman Project, because I read the story. You have that on your website. And, uh, you know, you, you did all of, all of the music, all of the singing and everything. And uh, was that, you know, I, I know it was written uh, during the uh, 2020 shutdown, but uh, was that a part of the soul searching as well that was going on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh well, you know, uh, in that period of life when I was not doing music, I was engaged in news programming on TV. And, you know, 
doing that, you're, you're kind of, and I was specialized as, as a foreign affairs analyst. So doing all that kind of, of things, you're, you're filled with a lot of info of what is going on around the world. And, you know, uh, I'm not a politician. I'm not interested in that way in politics. I'm, I'm dealing with social issues all the time. And my music is constantly, with my lyrics, I'm, I'm trying to point out the social issues that we have around the globe because at the moment the whole world is in turmoil, literally. And, you know, we have uh, fascism in rise in Europe. There is a racism in rise in the United States. We have uh, ever growing up inequalities never unprecedented in the modern history because, you know, at this point, 30 million people are below poverty line in the United States as the richest country in the world. And at the same time, you have five of ten most, the five of ten richest people in the world coming from America. So, you know, something is definitely wrong. And it's all politics. I'm speaking about social issues. You can't have at the richest country in the world 30 million people literally starving, not knowing how it make the ends meet from the first to the first, from the paycheck to the paycheck, and five of the most richest people in the world. Something is wrong there. So basically what the boogeyman is about is about those inequalities and the problems that we face around the globe now with this neoliberal capitalism that, you know, is, I, I can't say, but ruining everything just in the search for money, you know, like ruining morality, ruining, ruining uh, the, the nature and everything, just chasing the profit. If we continue chasing the profit, we'll be, we'll be gone. As, as a human race, there will be no place for us at the moment. So the Boogeyman project was uh, coming from me, from within me. I'm an artist and what can I do? I, I can't start a revolution. I'm not a revolutionary guy. I'm not a politician. I'm not a union a leader or whatever. But I'm an artist, so I can say in my arts what I think about what is going on at the moment around the globe. The whole world is suffering the same thing, literally. If the inequalities, the poverty, the instability, you don't know, you, will you have the job tomorrow? Will you have the, the, uh, enough money to cure yourself if you get ill or whatever? So around the globe, that's the same situation. And that's what the boogeyman is about. What is going on and what shall we do or can we do, you know, to stop uh, all of that, to, to, to uh, turn the, the, the world to the point where we will be all happy living in it. Certainly. Well, let me let me ask, because you certainly used, um, you know, this project uh, coming from an artistic expression, a place of art, artistic expression. But the thing is, you I think, you know, you you see on your website that your music or your influences are really based in what you grew up listening to from the 70s and the 80s. And I think the way that you did the Boogeyman Project, the reason I referenced George uh, Clinton early on, is because Parliament Funkadelic uh, had a lot of themed albums. You know, this album yeah. was about that. That album was about this. There was another yeah. group called Bloodstone, and they went, uh, the riddle of the Sphinx was from the birth to the death of a person, you know. And so I think you drew from that pretty well. But yeah. what I don't know, was that intentional or is just because you were an artist, like this is the best way to express where I'm at at this time? Well, it is intentional, you know, because in the 70s especially, and I was getting connected with the, the, with the music during the 70s, I was a kid, but, you know, that was what was going on. You did have that idea that album is a conceptual piece, you know, like, although I drew from, you know, like Ziggy Stardust was from, from uh, David Bowie or, or Selling England by a Pound from Genesis or something like that, and, and of course, Mothership Connection and everything that goes from Parliament Funkadelic. So they all were bound to tell some story. There's not, not a collection of songs, but they, they had a theme and they were trying to, to tell that theme the best way they can. So it was some in a, some sort of way coded in my uh, music ethos to produce not a single. Okay, single is a single. You, you need to have a good song that can stand alone. But to tell the, the story. And I'm always trying to tell the story this way or another so that 
all albums that I did had some theme that that simply connected all the songs in one place. I never wanted to, to make an, an album just, you know, like a collection of singles. So I have five singles. Okay, it's time to put them on one place. And it, it was not a field for me. That's, you know... Um... You know, if if I may ask, because you, you you're going to turn us down a different street, I hadn't planned on going, but which is cool. But um, I'm I'm mid fifties. Is that that where you are? Yeah, mid fifties. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we're the same age. I'm fifty eight. You're fifty seven. So here we are, and I agree with everything that you just said. So when I look at the marketing uh, for today, yeah. and the focus solely is on the single. There, yeah. you know, it's almost like you can throw the concept of an album or a concept, a whole thought. You can just toss that to the side and make singles because that's where the industry is. I think personally, personally, I think that there's something wrong with that from an artistic standpoint that you are reduced to what's hot, what's new, what's trending and we don't get to see you as the entire artist that you are. Do you agree or disagree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Because the streaming services uh, are really uh, a shifting point with the industry. Since the streaming services uh, took the music industry, considering the audience, everything was turned upside down. And, you know, uh, just, just, an, just as an example, so Kate Bush, which I admire from, for her work in the late 70s and early 80s, or she stopped her career because she wanted to be a mother, so on, never mind. So one of her songs, Running Up That Hill, from the album from 1982 or 1983 or something like that, uh, was played in uh, some very popular TV show, TV series. Uh, I, don't, I don't watch TV, so I don't know which one, but you know, very, very highly popular. So that song, Running Up That Hill, turned to one billion streams. The next song from the same album, from the same artist, is below 50 million. And we're talking about Kate Bush. So a whole generation of, of kids just listen to that song because of the popular TV show, and they're not interested who the artist is, what that album is from, uh, which album is that from, what year, nothing. It, it is just the consumerism and it's purist. And especially the other thing that is happening and that really even, it, it devastates even the idea of single is that musicians find out that, you know, Spotify pays you after 40 seconds of streaming. So I literally, uh, found out a bunch of playlists, uh, not a bunch, a thousand and thousands of playlists with nothing but a, a minute and a half or two minutes of nothing. Literally nothing. You got a band who's just, okay, we will play something and they play something for one minute and a half or two minutes and they call it a song, no lyrics, no melody, no tune, no nothing. But, you know, they will get paid because somebody will literally play or it will during the shuffle or or, this, or or algorithm will just put them to their playlist and they will go on and on and on and on until they found out there's nothing on that playlist. But, you know, the guy earned some money because he put a song on it. So we're literally living in the destruction of the music, of popular music as an art form. And I do, as I, I totally agree with you. It's absolutely wrong from the artistic point of view. And also, you know, audience is just, is going to be fed up with that. Yeah. At one point, they will start to, to, to seek for another meaningful song. They will be touched by emotion. They will be touched by lyrics or something like that. Because, you know, it, it, this is literally empty, uh, I don't know, music form. I, 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 I can't even name it because what, what I'm hearing at the moment on Spotify and I don't know, iTunes is on. It's literally nothing. Just some sort of sounds at the same moment played for a minute and a half or two minutes. So that's it. Yes. No, I, I absolutely agree. And a new whole form of songwriting 
uh, was forged from the streaming services. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I think uh, that Kanye, uh, one of the albums that he did, it was specifically that there was no song on there that I think went over two minutes and 30 seconds. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, again, coming back from a certain generation where strong, strong song structure was important in the sense that there was an introduction. There was a verse, there was a pre-chorus, a chorus, a bridge, you know, a melody structure, an instrumental break. I mean, it was an experience. You actually walked through this journey um, of this four and a half minute, maybe longer, but this four and a half minute um, illustration of life, uh, whether it was joy or pain or, you know, heartache or despair or you know, just dancing for the heck of it, you know, it was really still a moment that grabbed you, allowed you to escape from wherever you were and to step into another world that the artist was creating for you. And you're right. I think um, that the audience is going to grow tired of just the 90 seconds of whatever this is, and they're going to yeah. want something with more meaning. So the pendulum is going to you know, just uh, swing the other way. That's my thought. I believe that, I believe that you know, uh, any art and music especially because, you know, it's it, it's intangible. You know, when you see uh, a picture, you can touch it. But, you know, with music, nothing. It's just an, an air that vibrates around you. And that is the greatest medium for invoking emotions. So that's what music should do. Whether it's joy, whether it's sadness, whether it's I don't know, but if, as I said, whether you just want to jump around and dance, but that's an emotion. And, you know, unless unless the music doesn't bring that emotion into the audience, it's not music and it's not art. And it's uh, the very moment that it touches your soul, it becomes art. Right. And, you know, that's my point of view. And, you know, I'm making music from that point of view. I can't line myself and say, okay, this is what the industry wants, this is what the audience wants, I will do that. No, I won't. Because that's wrong. I will do what I think deeply inside that it is right. My mind. Yes. Yeah. I applaud you for that because, you know, yeah. again, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I'm, so let's walk down another street because, you know, both you and I, I know this from you personally, uh, we're both writing for sync. Okay, and so, yeah. you know, we took the course and, you know, you understand that sync wants a certain thing. And the one coach that uh, advised me on sync writing was the fact that you have to be unemotional about this, because if you're going to write a song that as an artist that you love, then you need to put that in another file. Right. <laughs> because yeah. what the music supervisor or the producer or the director may want doesn't have to have an emotional attachment and you put all of these hours into it and they're going to take the 16 seconds for the cue. So I've learned to subdivide myself to say, okay, well, this is the business aspect or the yeah. asset for this particular film or TV show or what have you, but this is Jerry. And so this has yeah. to come and be put over here so that I can release it in a different way as an artist. So, you know, yeah. that's part of being an yeah, entrepreneur musician, you know, too, of learning how to juggle. Yeah, but that, you know, that is the difference because the music that you do for thinking is uh, literally just like a sort of a craftsmanship, not an art. So, yes, you do need you do need to have a craft. You do need, you need to know how to play instruments, how to do arrangements and so on. But you know that, that's a craftsmanship. You know this is this scene needs some tension. How can I produce some tension? And then you pick, you know, like pacato violins or whatever, and you know you have the tension. But you're not doing it emotionally, and I totally agree. But that's a different kind of story, and I'm not going to sign to put that on my album because that's not who I am really. I'm just doing it for that purpose. Again being a part of an overall artistic process because director needs that kind of music because he envisioned his that scene and his movie right. in that way so i'm just a complementary part of his idea that's right so nothing wrong with that no 
I'm not I'm not feeling that I'm selling myself by doing that. No, I'm just uh, making a contribution to some other's artistic idea. Absolutely, the best way I can. Absolutely, as long as long as you don't freak out and get too emotional about it because it's not your yeah. vision. <laughs> 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 but but tell me if you wouldn't mind about you know we're talking about uh, albums and concepts. You have this new album out called The Living Soul. So uh, take us into that adventure. What is that about? Well, uh, basically that that album is a part of some sort of loose trilogy. I'm trying to to make a, a I don't know, a gratitude to, to, uh, to show my gratitude to the music I really dig and love. And that's, you know, soul, funk and jazz. So I decided to make three albums at the same time, literally. They're in different stages of production at the moment, and I'm working on all of them. Living Soul will be the first one that goes out. I do hope I will finish it by the end of the June, but, you know, it's not everything in my power because there will be some other people involved. Not... Oh, all, similarly to the Boogeyman, I did almost everything, but I, I will have now a, a female back vocals on, on some of the songs and so on. And, you know, so the first part of that trilogy, of that loose trilogy is Living Soul, and that's my tribute to, to the soul music of the early 70s that I really love, that I think that is one of the greatest, greatest moments in, in quality rock and roll or popular music or whatever that produced so many great artists, so many great music, great songs in, in any aspects from tunes to lyrics to, to arrangements. And, you know, that's my, you know, my tribute to that music and, you know, the, my perception of that music, how that, how would I do soul? Not the soul that is called now, the soul, because when I put nowadays like 2020 soul and I put that and I said, where's the soul in this, you know, like, no soul in it at all. <laughs> so the, the very, you know, the, the soul that we grew up, you and I grew up with, you know, that. So that's, that's that album, that leading soul, and the first thing, the first single. So you know, I just wanted to do an announcement of, of the album. So I decided to watch the, the opening song of the album, which is called "In the Morning," just to release a bit earlier, uh, so that you know, whoever wants to hear it and wants to be involved with it, and in, in any other way, could hear what the album is about and how does it sound in general. So hopefully the Living Soul will be done by the end of June, I think, so be before the summer begins. The second part of the trilogy is called Funkamentally, and that's my tribute again to, to um, that electro-boogie sound of the early 80s, you know, like uh, Roger and the Zap, like Early Prince, and so on. Uh, and the third part that I hope to finish it because all the songs are already recorded. Most of them are finished by arrangements, so I need a few lyrics here and there, and just to sing them and so on. To do, of course, to do the mixing and everything else. And the final thing that I'm that will be the part of the trilogy is uh, called Jezabella, and as the title says, you know, so Jezabella is it, it is the term for the ladies in the 20, 20s and 30s who were into jazz music. So. Yeah. It, it was like a good idea for me to call the album Jezabella, and it, it's going to be instrumental, it's going to be jazz, of course, and I'm doing a, a, an interesting experiment, if I may say now, if, if that's okay with you about the Jezabella, it's six months from now to be released, but, you know, for me, uh, thinking about jazz is always like there are three pillars of jazz. One is freedom, the first one is freedom, the second one is improvisation, uh, and the third one is experiment. So when you put all those three things together, you get the essence of jazz. Wow. So what I'm doing with the Jezabella as a sort of experiment, so, so I described living soul is a soul, fundamental is electro boogie, and what I'm doing with Jezabella is total experiment, like I just made basic harmonies and basic beats, and I send them to different musicians from different countries, different cities, and they don't know about each other, and all of them will play what they think they should be playing. Like the bass player is going to play what he thinks improvised, so he has all the freedom, all the improvisation, all the experiment he wants to do with that 
with his instrument regarding of what will the sax player will play or trump, uh, trumpet player will play or i don't know keyboard player will play regardless of that he's going to do his own thing and the keyboard player is going to do his own thing not knowing what the others are doing and all of them are just going to do their own thing not knowing what the others are doing and then i'm going to collect all those recordings and put them and then i'm going to cut paste reorder and so on to do my own improvisation and experiment with with their tracks and I, i'm so thrilled about that idea i can't wait because they are working all, all, already but i'm just on i can't ask them you know just sitting and waiting for the first tracks to come in and to start gathering you know but i'm really thrilled about that idea that's fantastic. That sounds like uh, Sun Ra on steroids, you know. <laughs> I remember the artist Sun Ra, you know, and just the whole yeah. free jazz movement. And so, you know, you're going to take all of these tracks, you know, and uh, uh, organize the schizophrenia, you know. <laughs> but that's what free jazz is, though. Yeah, totally. <laughs> organized chaos. Well, tell me, because that, that, that brings us into a great segue, because you've put together an incredible band, uh, Numismatica. And I want to yeah. ask you about the meaning of that, because when I looked it up, it was the study of or the collection of coins or currency. And I don't know yeah. if that's what you meant and why you named the band that, but you have these 11 amazing men and women which is another reason I call you, you know, uh, George Clinton of Serbia, because it's a big band, you know, <laughs> funk band. And really, you guys have a great heartbeat. So t tell me about Numismatica, how it formed, why you named it the way you did, who were some of the personnel involved? And, and other than this Jazzabella coming up, what's your plan for the future for this band? Yeah. Well, you know, the idea of the name Numismatica, basically Numismatica are, are precious coins from the past. Mm. So they are rare and precious, not ordinary coins that you collect, but, you know, from Roman Empire to, I don't know, uh, mid, mid, uh, Middle Ages or something like that. So they are precious coins that are rarely found and they're very expensive. So when I thought of Numismatica, well, yes, this is something from the past and it is precious for me and it is rare so well numismatica sounds you know quite because i first coined the name and then i gathered the band so it was like okay you know this this sounds to me like this is okay this is the name for the band this is something for me rare valuable and meaningful and uh i had a, a lot of help from from a few friends of mine uh, back in my the town where I was born, Niche, all the musicians are from that city, uh, who helped me get a, a great band, you know, because I was booked for a, for a, <laughs> I was booked for a gig at Nishville Jazz Festival and I didn't have a band. So it was like, oh my, I mean, now I need to find a band. Right now. But, that, <laughs> but it turned out that one thing led to another and then I first met uh, Boy Modenovic, the keyboard player, and you know, he's like on PhD in chamber music. Uh, and then from, from that on, started, we together started gathering one musician after another. And you know, they're, they're great jazz musicians, all of them, uh, like the trumpet player, he finished uh, in Jazz Academy in Austria, and so on. So all of them are uh, musical, musically trained. They all know how to read notes. And that was very important to me because we, we were so tight on, on schedule for, for, the, for the gig that if they didn't know how to, to play the notes that they had to play by ear, it would take ages. It was important. So I did all the score sheets. They had all the score sheets and they were rehearsing at their homes. One you know, curiosity, uh, there were 11 of us we didn't have a single rehearsal that we were all together. Wow. Because it was like impossible at the time to get us all together. So we had separate rehearsals, you know, like, you know, bass and drums, vocals, uh, you know, uh, uh, trumpets, horns, and so on. And the first time we ever got together was on the soundcheck. And even then, and even then, the keyboard player had to leave one of them. <laughs> so, so it was like, 
my God, we're playing this evening, and this is the first time that we're 11 of us all together. But they're really great musicians. They really dig the whole project. They really dig the whole idea. And, you know, we, we really, during those month and a half that we were rehearsing, it was like all the, all the time there was a good vibe, the positive vibe. You know, all of them did their best, really. They were rehearsing at home. They were learning at home the, 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 the score sheets, the music that they should play. So it was like oh, such a good vibe that when we get get on that stage, you know, from the very second, you know, it blew from us the, the energy and whatnot. So literally, and the audience was stuck like, what is this now? Because there was so much energy going from the stage to the audience. And we, I enjoyed every minute of it, really. So that's, uh, that's what happened. Now, what I'm planning to do is now, I'm trying to get some more gigs, but being us 11, and that's, I'm not going to back up on that. It's, it's going to be 11 on us or, of us, or I'm not going to play because I'm not going to make compromises on, on, on my art or my music. So I'm trying to get gigs, uh, mainly at, the, at this moment, I'm trying to get jazz festivals around Europe because, you know, they, they have their budget and we're not expensive, meaning that. Yes, we are 11, but you know, not some kind of name that will, I don't know, search for $100,000 or stuff like that, you know. We're quite modest. So I'm trying to get gigs at the jazz festivals at the moment as more as I can. So in that will lead, I hope, people will just hear us, see us, and if they dig us, they will come later again and again, and then we can make our own shows. But, you know, I'm not I am 57, but I'm not in a rush. I plan to do this until I'm 85 or something like that. <laughs> so whenever it happens, I just want to do it properly, the way I feel it should be done, and to be honest to myself. And as long, I think as long as the artist is honest to himself and not trying to make any compromises, then he's bound to success, that, that he cannot fail. My you know, God. that's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't no, know. it's a beautiful opinion. I, I you know, and, th and that's why you are my friend and entree musician, because yeah, it is about you. being honest. And as you know, our platform does not specifically, but more exclusively geared to those in this age bracket because of that. You know, because of yeah. our life experience, because of the fact that we may not be where we want to be on the trajectory, but we're not running like mad to get there. We're going to do what it takes, but be honest and transparent in the journey. This is how I feel. Yeah. And this is how we put one step in front of the other to make it happen. I, I applaud yeah. you. And that, and that journey is the greatest thing. You know, the, when you do a song, it's just a final product. You can be emotionally attached to it and so on. But while you're doing it, that's the thrill. You know, that's the that's the best part of, of, of everything. You know, I'm creating a music. Oh, this sound and this sound and this tune and this go. The bass goes with bass drums like this. That journey, making the music, that journey, uh, creating everything around that is the point. Is, is the true enjoyment in, in what I do? At, at least for me, I, I can't speak to, for others. I can speak only for me and myself. So for me, that journey, creating music, rehearsing the music, going to a gig, everything after that, you know, that's just a final product. But the journey to that final product should and is amazing, at least for me. No, you're absolutely right. I absolutely agree with you. Definitely. And so I, I want to ask another question with respect to, um, you know, people who are watching or listening to this and could be curious about life as a musician in Serbia with respect to um, distribution of music, with respect to copywriting, uh, with respect to, you know, how business is done. Um, you know, we see the streaming services, but we see that online. But are there uh, different restrictions or guidelines or anything for doing your music business in Serbia that's so different from us in the United States? Yeah, well, a lot of things are quite different, uh, starting with the, with the first with 
the, the idea that it's only a, it's a small country with seven and a half million people. Yeah, so the market is really, uh, really small. Of course, there are countries in the region that um, we speak similar language, like Croatia, Bosnia, Montenegro, even Bulgaria and Macedonia. So you can enlarge that that uh, audience. But uh, throughout the region, there is some sort of uh, um, music that is really special for that region. And that part, that kind of music is successful, meaning that a lot of people want to listen to that. And it doesn't have anything to do with rock and roll or with funk, with soul, with anything that is barely connected to the uh, popular music that that's in the Western world. It's sort of, you know, oriental sounding, and that kind of music is extremely popular, even with the with the young. The, the Western kind of music, let me call it like that, you know, like rock and roll and, and so on. Uh, used to have a lot of audience uh, while we were uh, the one while we were one country, the Yugoslavia, that was the country where I was born and where I lived until it broke up in the bloody war. So uh, uh, after that, and nowadays people who play rock and roll, alternative music, any kind of other music, uh, can't live by playing music, literally. They have to do anything else, and then you know they can do that on a side as a hobby or as a passion or whatever. But it is there is no audience, and the media especially are not going to play it for various reasons. So basically, you are you are limited to what you can do with social networks uh, where you can promote your music and so on. Uh, so that's that's one thing. The other thing is that. Uh, uh, Considering the, considering the the, the rights the, co the copyrights again because there are some only small publishers at the moment in Serbia you uh, you can't sell more than I don't know 500 uh, CDs or or whatever literally uh, so nobody's nobody's thinking about that and the whole world of, of so speaking of that kind of Western music. Basically, it's a friend of a friend of a friend, and we're, you know, going to our gigs and we're playing and so on and so on. So, basically, that kind of music is dying it is, uh, at, at, at Serbia. And you, I don't know, maybe 10,000 people in the whole country is listening to that kind of music at the moment, as they, as they should. All others are listening to that oriental kind of stuff, and I'm not into it. I don't really like it, and I think it's rubbish, but <laughs> that's my opinion. Uh, uh, so basically, that's the situation. And of course, around the Europe is also quite different than in the United States because the regulations are different, the uh, terminology is different. So um, you can get to it's tougher in the United States than in, than it is in Europe. In the United States, you are literally absolutely on your own. There's still some of the institutions that can help you this way or another, or although uh, they're uh, they're less and less, not not as it is not not as it is used to be in the 90s or the beginning of the millennia. Now it, the economic crisis is everywhere, so it's not good even here. But you know you can still do something, you know, with with the things that. Uh, State, the government, or local local authorities will help you in a way that you can make a festival, as I was saying, and the local authorities will help, will tell you, okay, we will give you, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars to help you because that is art. You don't have to do it all by yourself, and so on, so on. so. Basically, there's still a, a niche that you can do uh, uh, with with uh, your music in Europe, unlike in the United States, where you. Literally on your own, regardless of whether you're a musician or a producer or organizer or festivals or whatever, you have to make money out of it. In Europe, you can still do that as an art, not as it was like uh, 30 years ago, but you can still find those little cracks in the system that, that can help you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us because, you know, we are. Um, 
trying to learn about each other's culture, how how we can help each other, how we can stand by and even, you know, op- opening up opportunities for collaboration. So we we need to know how that works uh, worldwide yeah. and not just from New York and Los Angeles or Chicago and Tennessee. You yeah, know what I mean? Well, you know, there is a, a, a uh, you can Google it, but there is a website that uh, all jazz festivals in Europe are on. And you can literally get all the contacts on that site with all the proper emails of for the persons who is uh, in charge for each festival. So you can basically apply and say, okay, okay, this is me. For instance, this is Jerry B, this is my music, I'm doing it so and so and so. Are you interested in me having you uh, being, being at your festival? Do you want me? And you know, they're like in Europe, I, I think that there are about 500 jazz festivals during the year. So it's all over. So you know, they vary from one day to five day festivals, like Michigan Jazz Festival is a four day festival. So, so it's the largest jazz festival in the region, and it was voted uh, the best jazz festival in Europe like five or six, seven years ago. It's a huge festival, really. So there are huge festivals. But there are also mid-range and low-range festivals where everybody can find their place. So basically, you know, worth of trying, especially when you're coming from the United States, so you can try and check those festivals, check that site. So I can't have it in my mind. I don't have it in my mind at the moment. But you know, just Google it, Europe Jazz Festivals, and literally you can get gigs like connected. Okay, I will play now in Poland. Then I. Three days later, I will play in, I don't know, Germany. Three days later, I can play in Italy. So you can make it worthwhile uh, financially because they will say, okay, we can split the costs of your coming to Europe because you're playing several gigs. And you you can also lower your, your demand on, on the money because you're playing several gigs. So basically, that's something you can do, especially from, I don't know, June to September, October, there are a lot of festivals around around the Europe, so worth worth trying for for all of, for all the people who are into jazz, funk, soul, or whatnot from the United States. <clears throat> That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that information. I have one uh, final question for you, and I always call it the unasked question because you've done interviews before and you've been uh, in the media. So uh, you may have thought when we set up this uh, interview that there was something that I was going to ask you. I know Jerry's going to ask me this question and you're ready for the answer, but I haven't asked it. (laughs) So perhaps there's something that you wanted to share with the audience and I didn't even get to it. So how would you answer the unasked question? Well, there is one unanswered question I'm constantly asking myself, and that is how in the world am I thinking that coming from Serbia uh, with everything now is going on, I can make an international career? And I don't have an answer for that. I just, I just, <laughs> I just want to do that. You know, yeah. you know, you know. I'm literally asking myself that again and again and again. Like, are you nuts? What are you doing? I mean, okay, you like making music, but really, what are you doing? And I said, okay, but who knows? Maybe. I mean, I met you. So that's a huge step in my life, okay? Yeah. Jerry B, I met an musician, I became an musician, and I said, wow, somebody opened a door for me, and there's so many things in this room that I will take a, a few years just to check everything out. So that's a great thing. And, you know, hopefully, step by step by step by step, I will get there where I want to be. But at the moment, you know, that's an unasked question and unfortunately unanswered one. So <laughs> it is for me. Absolutely. Well, you know, it just takes one person at a time, man. One step at a time, yeah. one person, one situation. Uh, the way the Entree Musician formed, I mean, I didn't know that it was going to grow as organically as it has and expand the way it has expanded. But it's just it just started with one conversation. One conversation led to another one, and there you go. So now yeah. we know each other. Now we are brothers in arms, and uh, who know who we may be introduced to that makes the circle even larger. We just go with it. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, I'm certainly very thankful, Nanat, that you have come on to the Entree Musician, that you are an Entree Musician, that you've been part of this platform. Also, coming up, uh, this interview will happen before that other platform, but you've also appeared on our sister show called Artist Impact. And uh, I believe the other gentleman, Rick Derman, he's from Germany. So that's like our international show right there. So uh, that was fun. And that will be airing soon uh, on another platform and station. But, man, you're really getting your, uh, you know, your roots down into what the Hunter Musician is all about. So I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for your music, for your artistry, for Newman, uh, Numismatica, the uh, band that you've put together and the projects that you'll be doing this this summer, man. Many blessings to you and peace. Thank you, thank you, Jenny. I'm uh, you know I'm thrilled to know you and I'm thrilled for everything you're doing with musician. I think that you know you have such an energy and you know you're such a focus. I really admire. So you know, thank you for letting me become musician. Thank you for having me on this podcasts and you know hope to see you very soon on a sunday <laughs> absolutely well i tell you what man we'll we will get down on sunday but for the rest of you you got to check out the nancy and numismatica you have to check them out uh we will put all of the information in the show notes go to them right now and if you love funk if you love soul if you love jazz if you are a student of the 70s and 80s that's where this brother's coming from and uh check out his lyrics they are very transformative he speaks from his heart and that's hard to go by nowadays so definitely buy his music and merch uh you are listening and watching the entree musician my name is jerry b i'm an entree musician that was the nad he's an entree musician but you know the most important part you know what i'm gonna say the most important part is so are you and you join us at the entree we will see you again next time peace and blessings to you